0: Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunnyside Up. Once again, I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to speak with Rakesh Patil today on building models for the right stage for your customer journey. Rakesh, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So Rakesh, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long and winding journey. Um, I graduated with a PhD in uh, mechanical engineering uh, from University of Michigan. And uh, my focus was on optimizing energy systems. So a little bit farther away from sales and marketing. Um, and I worked on building algorithms to efficiently dispatch different energy systems on the electric grid, uh, in electric vehicles, and so on. Um, and with time, I got more interested in the revenue generation functions, uh, sales and marketing, but also in in stocks and you know different ways to generate revenue. Um, and through that, you know, my journey has led me, I guess, to um, Google Cloud, where I manage a data science uh, team uh, that is focused on you know optimizing. The revenue output uh, from our sales and marketing teams.
1: Superb, quite the journey, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and in that journey, I feel like like the word data science, the word artificial intelligence, like 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 I think in some ways they're the same, in many ways they're 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 different. Do you have any thoughts about just how the evolution has taken place?
0: Yeah, so there is data science, there is machine learning, there's artificial intelligence, and um, it's, uh, these are obviously used interchangeably. The way I see it is data science is, is a little bit more statistical and focused on uh, statistics being applied to um, understanding trade-offs or optimizing systems. Um, And one step from there is machine learning, which is more about uh, predicting behavior, uh, predicting price or predicting likelihood to succeed and things like that. And artificial intelligence, I would say, is the entire system of which machine learning is one part, right? So if you think of Google Home, that is an artificial intelligence system, right? And there is a lot of different machine learning methods that power it. So that's how I see all of this. The way my journey came about in this area is that I, I did a lot of um, you know, optimization and statistics during my PhD. And that's what I applied um, for energy systems as well as for stock trading. And um, as time has gone on, I have refined uh, the methods that I applied and you know, understood a wide variety of methods and figured out how to apply them to business-relevant problems, right? So that is, I think, the challenge today because the advances in machine learning and data science are going at a pace that's you know, unprecedented. So you know, there are a lot of problems that can be solved and this is one of the areas where it has not been applied to its fullest extent um, and that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Yeah, it's super fascinating. And as I started to learn, more about data science and artificial intelligence and natural language processing and all these other things, right? Like, I really thought that you cannot go into this mode of learning without unlearning how you think about things, because most of the world thinks in absolutes, and uh, and and I, I just didn't find that type of construct to be the right construct if you wanted to learn about data science or any of the the. Uh, the, the functions that that data science can help with.
0: Very true, very true. I mean, e- even in my uh, learning and my journey, right, I learned a lot about model-based systems where you can model, let's say, you know, the, the battery uh, in an electric car, right? So that is modeled based on certain equations. And then you figure out how to control it, how to predict what it's going to do and things like that based on a set of equations rather than based on data and slowly that space as well as you know most other areas have evolved into incorporating data as much or even more than the models themselves right so when it comes to sales and marketing there there is a certain intuition that sales and marketing people come with right so they they are the ones who are exposed to the reality in the field so to say and so they have good intuition, especially those that have many years and decades of experience. And they need to rethink, or we all need to rethink how you know data science or just data can help um, improve the efficiency, the productivity of all those functions. Because we are, we are getting data at an unprecedented rate and we're getting inf- so much information. And if you don't utilize it and you stick to the old way of thinking, then you know you're you're bound to lose out at some point.
1: And you're a pretty experienced guy. When you come across people that always say, like the data's bad, something's wrong with the data, right? How do you coach them to think the other way? Well, first. Yeah, I,
0: I think it's I think it's very possible. Um, I think eventually you need to align on a success metric, right? So some of the stakeholders that I work with now are focused on increasing revenue or improving the conversion rate of a certain business process. And if you can demonstrate that that can be done or at least aided with uh, some sort of data science or even just something more intelligent than what is happening right now, then I, I don't see too much pushback right so the pushback where i see is like you said you know the data is not good that might be a very true uh, statement right so as much as we talk about okay there is so much data out there the quality of the data the coverage of the data is is extremely you know important and in many cases it's it's not good right so even an example i can give in in my current day to day job is um, we we have you know we acquire data from third party data third party sources. Uh, we also have internal data, right? So the quality of the internal data is much much better than the third party data sources, for many reasons. And you know I won't dive into the reasons. That's that's how it is. And so we trust the internal data much more, and the data science solutions that we offer based on internal data to our you know stakeholders is trusted more right so there is that question of trust and you build trust by demonstrating that you can actually solve their problem Um, so you know that's the approach we usually take
1: and you know you're in a very interesting place now and i say that because to me the marketing side of our world has taken a very data-driven approach and has tried to become scientific But the sales side of our our world hasn't necessarily then applied the same type of rigor. Uh, I mean, I think people spend a lot of time on sales process and sales methodology, but then Mm -hmm. they don't look at the the underlying data and what it means and what it could mean and understanding the levers and then, you know, understand the variables in those levers. And so, um, uh, but you've been doing this for some time now. What are your thoughts on that, like based on what you're seeing today and where we're headed?
0: Yeah, you're right in that the marketing systems and marketing teams are much more data oriented today. Uh, that's an okay statement to make, not always true. Um, but I, you know the the mental model that I apply is to try to understand uh, the customer journey, right? So marketing and sales, I don't look at them as two separate things. I look at them as stages in a customer's customer acquisition journey. I'm not talking about customer journey from a product point of view, uh, which is commonly how it's it's used, but more from a customer acquisition and like a revenue journey of the customer. What what are the stages that a customer goes through before we see dollar amounts and we grow those dollar amounts? So thinking about customer journey from that point of view, I usually uh, try to pose the question to the whether it's a sales stakeholder or a marketing stakeholder that I try to ask them, what part of the business process uh, are you trying to optimize or even taking a step behind before that is, you know, what uh, is your funnel? What does your funnel look like? What are the steps that you're taking your customer through? And that gives me an opening to understand, okay, here is where we get sufficient data to do interesting data science versus you know usually sales is much more about optimizing processes and not using as much data because it's not needed at times right so we don't want to force data science or you know data onto things where it's not needed right so if if a salesperson has uh, one you know client and they have a great relationship with them they know them inside out there is you know you could say that there is not a lot of data science that we can do for that where the human being itself is so smart and intelligent that at least at this stage, we can't really add much more. Though we are thinking of ways to do that uh, as well. But so that is an example where, you know, we don't try to force it, right? Whereas if we find out from a sales team that they have a large number of accounts and they need to prioritize within those accounts, and there are hundreds of signals that can be used to prioritize, and how do we do that? That is a great data science problem. And we jump on those kinds of things. Um, similarly, you know, that reducing the amount of time that a client, uh, that a salesperson spends away from the client, right? Uh, trying to get more information, trying to read more data, read more news articles, uh, read more about the companies and things like that. Those can definitely be streamlined and, you know, automated, um, And served up in such a way that the salesperson can be very efficient in approaching a client and things like that. So we we always try to find an opportunity within the business, um, and not just go to the business with a technology and say, "Hey, here you have to apply this technology." So that's the way we, um, you know, that's the mental model that we use, um, and the way we incorporate data science.
1: So I'm curious, what are some of the other frameworks that you've accumulated over the years uh, so that people could understand what the uh, uh, how to apply data science or, 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 or it could just help them understand the world of data science so they could start their journey? Because to me, it's, it's a journey, right? Like, like you yeah. have to get involved, you have to understand, you have to do, you have to act, you have to display, you have to do all of these things. And so you can't just say, this is... The data science app on my iPhone, and you know it's it's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I said, you know the first step is to understand the business problem, right? So if the business problem, as I said, is you know you have a large number of accounts or you have um, limited budget and you want to target x number of customers, who are the best x customers so you get the highest ROI, right? Those, if once you define those, and you know. Then it becomes much easier within that to find the data science problem. Um, the other parts of the mental model, I would say, is you know, for for somebody who is new to this area, the goal of applying data science here is you know, improving efficiency, turbocharging your output, right? Doing things that you cannot manually do. Really, it's that straightforward. Um, and utilizing data science as uh, as a boost, so to say, right. So if you have identified your problem well, then we can turbocharge it with all of these approaches. You know that I can go on and on about. Um, but I think the goal is to identify the problem first, yep. uh, and then the next framework that I would use is experimentation, right? Um, usually, what I've noticed in sales and marketing teams is that there's a lot of intuition and a lot of great intuition um, that you know sales reps, managers, and uh, all of them have. Um, but it doesn't always pair out in every single situation. So it's good to and and it's the same with the data science approaches as well, right? One model that we build has done great historically, but it's not. It might not do so well in the future. Um, and so, being able to test it out, being able to say, okay, we'll have some treatment, some control, then we'll see how much is the actual improvement. Does it actually does it work in reality? Those kinds of things are the other frameworks. But to start with, you know, if someone is new, uh, it's better to first define your problem, then see where you can apply data science, um, rather than thinking, okay, I have data science, and then I want to apply it somewhere. And
1: uh, um, and uh, from, I'm sure you have plenty of stories <laughs> where you've helped people uh, stop solutioning and start identifying even further. Uh, do, can you elaborate a little bit on how you coach people or how you guide people? Because my way of identifying a problem may be different than the uh, best practice around identifying the problem. And, and sometimes it requires that you go further, uh, mm-hmm. deeper. In identifying the problem to understand the root cause, then where you already are, and and those are all biases that then translate themselves into the solution, and and then and then misguide you. At least as I, as I've learned. Yeah, yeah. So the way
0: we work with our stakeholders is we you know usually a business process will have a few stages, right, and the goal would be to optimize the whole process, right but that's too big of a problem to take on. And usually what will happen is that you won't be able to apply one approach that solves all problems, right? So if you think of a marketing funnel, right? One model to solve all stages of the funnel is going to be very, very challenging. And that can be an ideal state, but to start with, you have to think of, okay, which stage do I really want to, you know, or do I see the biggest gap, right? Is it in creating awareness? is it in you know the last step of converting a customer to a paying customer and so on once you identify that you kind of open that door first and solve that small problem and then you slowly grow into different aspects uh, of the funnel or of the business process whatever it is um, that is usually the way you know um, we have we have done things um, and what we see is that there is almost always an existing process So if we can compare our new strategy to the existing process and we set up, you know, the data logging in such a way that we can show continuously that after a week, after a month, this is the improvement that we are seeing. Then it becomes so transparency uh, to close this loop uh, is again crucial to get started with all of these, you know, applying uh, data science and experimenting
1: and things like that. Super, super interesting. And, you know, as I'm thinking, as you're saying, is there the application of data science different uh, or maybe data science methods different when you were working on some of the energy projects versus some of the, let's call it stock trading projects to now the sales and marketing projects?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the models themselves are very similar, right? But the problems they're solving are are obviously quite different. And so because of that, you would need to change the way you think about it. So an example I can give you is in in energy forecasting or uh, even in the stock market, the the precision of your forecast, the prices in the energy market or the stock prices is what was of most interest. Whereas here... We are trying to predict whether a customer will convert or they will upgrade, um, and those things, those kinds of things, are more binary, right? So you're doing binary classification. Uh, you're applying approaches such as XGBoost or or even linear regression and things like that uh, to start with, and those uh, approaches, you know, you don't need that level of precision, um, and so. It, it is a different type of problem but at the same time you need much more explainability right so if we say hey here are the best accounts that will give us the highest roi in in a certain marketing effort uh, an email campaign let's say then we have to explain why these accounts were selected right otherwise it does you cannot come up with the content for it otherwise and you know the marketing team won't have enough trust in it and things like that so those are the biggest differences I've seen um, in terms of how the models are applied and what the models are trying to solve.
1: So let's shift gears into some of the, the the hard lessons that you've learned in doing this so that people who would like to be again on this journey, uh, uh can avoid them and if you could share some stories that would be great because it would just drive the point home.
0: Yeah. Yeah I can do that. Um it's it's a repeat of what I've already said in some ways. So listening to the business needs and then matching the technical capabilities. Right. So I can give two examples there. Um, one is related to prioritizing accounts, right? So in an upgrade effort, so the business comes to us and they ask us, "Okay, we have, you know, millions of accounts. How do we upgrade these accounts? Can you give us some insights on how you choose these accounts?" Right. So when you think of that, um, you're trying to identify, let's say, a few thousand accounts out of millions, and if that's the case, then I don't. It it doesn't make much sense to provide insights along with it right? So we have the business problem and the technical capability that we match it to is uh, pretty much like a black box machine learning model that is really, really good at identifying the top cream of accounts, but not that great at giving you insight. And that should be okay in this case, because the goal is to really identify those top uh, X accounts or something like that. Whereas another example I can give you is... Where we don't need to identify those accounts, it's already well known. We know that we are going to go after you know this set of accounts, but how do we go after them? What should be our approach, and um, what should be, or what insights can you know machine learning give us? In that case, what we do is we try to uh, apply you know uh, NLP techniques to extract data from different forms of text like news and you know, SEC filings and things like that. Um, Or we try to extract more data from their product usage patterns and try to apply that to give more insight to the sales and marketing teams to action on those focused accounts. Right? So these are two examples where the business comes to us with a problem saying, we want to do this or that more efficiently. Then we find the right match for it and try to apply um, rather than saying, okay, we have this cool, shiny new technology. Let's try to apply this to all the problems, right? Uh, basically bringing a hammer to the nail kind of thing. That's not the way, you know, uh, that's not the most efficient way. So that's uh, that, that's one of the biggest learnings I would say that I've taken.
1: Um, yeah. And how long do you run, let's call it these projects? Like, is it the first five uh, I guess you probably have to do with the first 11 true signals so that this uh, sample set is statistically relevant or um, or or what what is your experience say how long you should run these projects or or experiments if you want to call them
0: yeah so that that depends on the conversion cycle right so usually you know if it's if it's a marketing kind of outreach they have very short cycles right where you want to, let's say, identify how many people are clicking on an email and you know, how many of them are redeeming a coupon, and then do they go on to actually use that coupon uh, at some stage? If that's the you know, cycle uh, or the conversion process that you're focused on, then it's a matter of days. Um, whereas if you're thinking of a sales cycle where you know, somebody is reaching out to a customer, they're converting, they start spending, that could be a matter of months. So depending on the problem, you set up such that you're capturing the whole cycle, right? You don't to do, go in with a theoretical understanding that, okay, usually experiments are run for six weeks, so we will just run it for six weeks. Um, you try to understand the process and then try to make sure that there are uh, not any, there are no biases that creep in during that time. And then you set up uh, the experimentation or the cycle for what you're trying to test. So uh, that's that's the way you know we think about um, applying statistics and measuring.
1: It sounds like your maybe your team's two best words are "it depends." <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, it it
0: does right um, because you know you you read a lot or you hear a lot about okay there is this amazing technology and then when you try to apply it to a problem, it's always it depends, right? Because uh, every problem has has its complications. And that's why, uh, you know, going back to one of the learnings I said, was to start specifically uh, in in one stage of the process. Because that is a mistake that we have done in the past is we have said, okay, you know what, we understand the whole process. We can identify the best target accounts at the first stage of the process itself. And that will lead to the highest revenue at the end of it. And what we see is that things don't play out that way, right? Every step has its you know, um, ups and downs and so on. So I would say, you know, starting in a very focused manner. Uh, and one of the things that the business then pushes back is saying, hey, we want to do the best and the you know, biggest thing possible. But it's it's important to not fall into that trap and to kind of pick a focus area Do really well at that and then extend. Um, And that's why, you know, even picking that focus area uh, should be where, you know, there is a lot of data already in the past, you're not dealing with a lot of uh, data cleaning issues and, you know, uh, those kinds of things. So it depends on the problem, but, uh, you know, I would say that that is a general learning, right? You focus your um, application to that one area. Um, another learning that I would also mention is, um, you know, the experimentation part, which I talked about, usually, you know, we get pushback on, on that as well, where they say, well, if you have a machine learning model, that's great. Let's just, you know, run it on everything. Right. Um, instead of that, we would like to experiment. And the reason is because, you know, it, it might seem like you're losing something in the beginning, but you should think of it as compounding exponentially versus going linear, right? So you might gain, uh, by not doing experimentation, you might gain things a lot in the beginning uh, because you're applying all your methods to 100% of your population or 100% of your targets. And so you will get a, a lot of gains. But if you're able to experiment, you will get the learnings that are invaluable. And those learnings will compound Um, So, you know, an example is, again, going back to um, upgrade, identifying upgrade candidates. Uh, When we have a machine learning model that identifies upgrade candidates, there might be some business intuition at times which say, hey, these types of customers are the best candidates for upgrade. Now, we won't know which strategy is better, a machine learning based strategy or a business logic based strategy till we try it out. And once we try that, we can improve both the business logic and the machine learning outcomes, even if it means that for like six weeks or one uh, you know, quarter that we are a little slow, you will catch up and kind of leapfrog uh, the approach of not experimenting and just trying to roll out new things. So, so that's another learning as well that i found.
1: that's that's great i mean i'm just processing what you're saying against all of the interactions that i've had and and i'd like to that now move in a different direction uh, mm-hmm. of you being a data science leader right and uh, and you know as a revenue leader i have sales marketing customer success business development and i see a lot of revenue leaders adding data science teams as well and but i don't know if everybody understands the composition or the right composition of a data science team? And I I'm I'm sure the answer is it depends to <laughs> when I ask the question of what is yeah. the is the best best composition of a team. But in from your experience for people starting out, how should they tool their team, right? Like what type of people yeah. or what type of, of functions inside of the data science team should people think about?
0: yeah that's a great question and a question that um, i have thought about a lot here uh, while i built my team and and i have an amazing team uh, shout out to my team so uh, the way we went about it is we have a mix of specialists that can that can do a little bit of everything right so there are people who have you know phd's in in neuroscience and these kind of approaches who are, who are very strong uh, from a statistics point of view but they also have an understanding of um, you know how does a sales process work or how does you know what is the marketing funnel right so just basic understanding of the of the way businesses are run um, that is very crucial right because eventually what a data scientist is doing is matching the business problem to this technical capability so we have those kinds of experts in statistics We have folks who are experts in machine learning. Um, I myself picked up skill sets in machine learning over the last decade. Um, And I have a few people on my team who are really, really good at building and training predictive models and trying to identify um, the highest accuracy models um, and things like that. Uh, Then there are the more traditional BI analyst type folks, who have a much stronger understanding of the business um, and are more skilled at presenting the results and creating visualizations and things like that. So I would say a mix of all of these uh, is, is the best combination, is the ideal combination, and that's what we strive for. Um, but if you are starting out, I would say you know, somebody who is like a you know, jack of all trades, of the trades that I just mentioned, uh, would be the best way to kind of start hiring and start
1: growing your team. And, you know, as we've been discussing, that there's some amount of detective work that requires to identify the problem. Mm-hmm. How do you resource for that? Well, so I, I think of uh,
0: myself as, as a manager of the data science team. Uh, I do a lot of that. One, because I enjoy it. Right. Um, but also, you know, when we interview folks, we do have, you know, these hypothetical questions in the interview, which reflect what is required in a day to day. Right. So we, we give them these open ended problems, which say, you know, you are asked by the business to solve this kind of a problem. Uh, what would you do? How would you proceed? And there's no one right answer to it. It's the philosophy that they take and the overall approach that matters. Um, and so we test for those things when we interview itself. Right. And so that's the way we, we resource for it. Um, there are a lot of different uh, programs that will help you kind of learn those kinds of skills, uh, which usually are not taught in school. Right. So uh, that's that's also something that I you know look for in the people whom we hire.
1: As, as you're thinking about, as you're saying this, right? And I'm just thinking, there's there's so many applications and like learnings of uh, of life that potentially are data science problems, and and uh, you know, like people coming from like different uh, walks of life. I mean, you mentioned you have somebody who's a neuroscientist on on the team, and I'm thinking, wow, like that person could have become a a, a a doctor. I mean, that's, I'm assuming he's a he's a PhD, uh, but but a full blown like neuroscientist, and then he's actually working on these problems. And what other problems could people that are experts in different fields come and join data science teams? And uh, uh, and as, I, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, what if you had like salespeople who were Really inquisitive to this that could do a semester or two in a in a data science team because in the last four or five years there's a lot of encouragement to for salespeople to join a marketing team for a little bit and the marketing team for people to join sales teams for a little bit and then there's this biz dev team that's somewhat of a jack of all trades but I actually think think people should spend some time assigning themselves or raising their hands for data science projects to challenge their thinking. Because it will eventually help them synthesize the insight to share with other people in a digestible matter. But I think it'll be, it'll be pretty fulfilling a life too, because then you're 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 also thinking about it in a methodical way versus just taking some anecdotal evidence and drawing a conclusion from it.
0: Yeah, that is that is a great point that you make, and we do have uh, folks that we partner with that are. Um, Actually, our team's makeup uh, is, in addition to data scientists, we have program managers or quantitative program managers. These are folks who are very well-versed in in understanding the business side of things. Uh, They themselves have either been in sales or marketing at some point, but also have a very good high-level understanding of what data science means um, and how it can be applied to different problems. So... It really requires both types of people to, you know, be successful. So um, I, I absolutely encourage people who are in sales and marketing and who would like to, or who have. I don't think you need, uh, you know, a very very high level of technical skill um, to, you know, just participate, right? And you always learn by doing. That's how I have learned a lot of the stuff. Is after school. Um, you know, as I started working, as I started working now with sales and marketing teams, I have learned a lot about sales and marketing. And I'm sure the, you know, uh, sales and marketing folks that work with us have learned a lot about data science. Um, And I have seen some people transition to becoming a data scientist um, all the way from, you know, one end to the other. So that is definitely a possibility. And I think you will then have an edge uh, that regular data scientists who comes from a more technical background uh, will not have in understanding like the details of what will and will not work in the field and things like that, right? So that's a great point that you made. I think, uh, yeah, and at Google, we encourage like cross collaboration
1: um, a lot. Are there any resources like like some journals or some books or some some uh, uh, websites that you recommend that 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 you've found to be up to date on everything data science and people who are starting off or even in the middle or even experts should just go to this one resource or maybe there's multiple resources for depending on the stage you are at.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, yes, there are multiple resources depending on the stage you are at. Um, I think if you have had some sort of a, a quantitative background like you you know economics uh, obviously engineering um, then math and all of those if you have that uh, at some level then you have a lot of courses on coursera and udemy uh, some of which you know i i'm speaking from experience which is what i did to get to know enough uh, of the machine learning approaches enough of the statistical approaches so that you can take it back to your job and start applying. Um, So, you know, there are some very famous Coursera courses on on machine learning, which if you just, you know, search, um, and I wouldn't say there is one particular one that you have to do. Um, I think, you know, depending on your time and how you want to shape your career, you can pick and choose, which is is what I did. Um, And, yeah, just getting started is the most important thing. Getting your hands dirty is the most important thing, um, and so I I, w- I used a lot of the online courses. So that is my yeah, that was my path, um, and I think that's a very fruitful
1: path. Yeah. And do you have a group of let's call it the the data science mafia that you guys get together on a regular basis to talk about and change, exchange notes?
0: Well, I have, you know, I work with some very, very uh, smart and talented people um, and uh, they, they are the ones who uh, I love working with because we brainstorm all of these ideas and things that uh, have not been done before, right? So um, all of the learning and the stuff that I'm sharing here is partly an outcome of those interactions. Um, and so, you know, Tom... Müllerbach is is one of the colleagues that I work with, um, with whom we, you know, we try to brainstorm. Okay, what's the business process? Where can we apply data science? Where can it be most effective, uh, and things like that.
1: Superb. All right. Well, this has been a great session to just understand the nuances of data scientists, data science, and how to watch out for biases, and and how do you learn this stuff. Um, let's. Is there anything else you want to just share as you have the stage uh, to others in the world? And, and this podcast, by the way, goes out to a global audience, and we have folks from Japan and uh, and uh, and Singapore also listening to this. And often they'll ask questions. So, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I encourage all the questions. I'm I'm happy to answer them as well. Um, and, you know, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, one, one thing that I would leave with is that it's it's just the beginning, right? So you might think that, okay, you know, everything that needs to be done when it comes to data science or uh, applying it to sales and marketing uh, might already be done when you hear these conversations or when you see certain applications. But I would say that it's just the beginning because uh, the opportunities here are endless, and I would encourage everyone from from all backgrounds actually to kind of participate in in this growth, because um, it's you know it's going to be a fruitful one for everybody who participates.
1: Well, superb, and I would I would double down on that. And, uh, and highly encourage people to get involved in in data science projects and just learn uh, learn this uh, this new skill because it's extremely helpful. and I actually think it's more it's a life skill, not just a business skill and uh, and, and personally speaking, it's helped me understand my kids a lot better. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, because there's always a reason and then you have to uncover the reason and they, the, the, the principles are so similar, right so yes, yeah okay let's let's shift into I would say a little bit of the fun part of the, the, the podcast and uh, and we always ask people who are some of the other people that they respect in their current uh, trade or uh, in the same field that are either go to market folks or data science folks or or any type of business folks that they respect and admire uh, to share uh, this stage with them. For a couple of reasons: one, you're sharing the stage with them, and then two, uh, it actually helps evolve this podcast because every person that comes onto the podcast actually leaves a piece of their legacy with us. So, I'll ask you the same thing: are there is there anybody or maybe a couple of people that you respect and admire that you'd like to give a shout out on uh, on the, on this uh, podcast, and we would like to bring them on as a podcast guest too
0: yeah i just i mentioned uh, tom Milbeck, who's who's my colleague uh, but also jorge jorge danoso uh, who's also at google uh, these these are my colleagues that that i work with on a daily basis and you know uh, they've really helped me succeed in this space and um, i love brainstorming with them so i'm sure uh, they have some amazing ideas that they can share with you
1: superb all right and if we were to condense this podcast into a hashtag, what would your hashtag be? Um, I would say, you know, hashtag sales signs. It works for me. How did you come up with it?
0: Well, I, I'm I'm stealing it from someone who came up with it. Uh, in- <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, that's art then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I
0: have seen it before. I think even on LinkedIn. Um, Uh, It might be called sales data science, but, you know, just keeping it nice and concise.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, there's a truth to this because... My my personal viewpoint on all this stuff is: is sales is going to become a further science than it already is, and the the, the use of data and intelligence is just going to become become much more important as we go into a world where human interaction may become less and less, just because of how we're evolving. So there's a macro trend to it that's pushing this now, and uh, and in in that world, you know, I mean, if you call it sales science or call it sales data science, like it it. These, these techniques are required. And, and everybody thinks of this as like, hey, it'll like optimize everything and I'll hit my number faster and stuff like that. To me, it's, it's having the relevant and meaningful conversations so that not only are you enriching the other person's way of doing business or their business life or maybe their personal life too, but you're also enriching your own life because you're having important conversations with the right type of people
0: yeah and and the key word that you mentioned was the discovery or the investigation, right and that's what that's what excites me is identifying the gaps and there will always be gaps, right There is always room for improvement for us personally as well as you know for the businesses that we work with. Um, and so identifying those gaps and then using sound intelligence to you know fill in those gaps and then amplify the output. Um, that's really the way I see all of this.
1: Superb. Well, Rakesh, thanks again for coming on to this show. And how can people connect connect with you if they have questions after this podcast?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, people can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, I'm more than happy to connect and you know help answer any of the questions they would have uh, following this.
1: I would highly recommend our audience to take what they've learned in this uh, podcast use it, and find out some things that they want to ask questions about. And Hidra hey, he has been gracious with his time and have found it to be extremely helpful. And when we asked people about him uh, at his current workplace and in other workplaces, uh, the words genuine person and the real deal came up. Sure. So I would say take advantage of, of people that can help you progress both personally and professionally, and Rakish is one of them. So Rakish, thanks again for coming on to the show and uh, best of luck in your journey.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I enjoyed this chat quite a lot. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.